please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We are looking at verses 11 through 14. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you in the grace of Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit will be with you all. Father, help us to hear these amazing words. Father, as I have looked upon this, I am overwhelmed in such compactness and such majesty. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters will see and be overwhelmed and bow with great Great joy and great amazement. We thank you, Lord. I thank you that you reconciled the church in Corinth back to the Apostle Paul and to your gracious place. Father, I pray for Castle Rock Baptist Church. Father, we will understand these verses and be overwhelmed. To you, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. We are actually coming to the conclusion of 2 Corinthians, believe it or not. There are times in our reading of God's Word that once we get toward the end of a letter, we just sort of say, you know, ha, see you later, goodbye. And, you know, and now we're done. Okay? You cannot do that with this letter. You just can't do it. Okay? Understanding the whole context of what's going on in the church in Corinth. They had been influenced by false teachers who had brought accusations against the Apostle Paul to try to discredit him. And if they could discredit him, then they can bring their error in and no one knows the difference. And so there was an animosity that the false teachers had stirred up against the Apostle Paul. This is actually the fourth letter. We only have two. We had one that was before 1 Corinthians. We have one in between 1 and 2 Corinthians called the severe letter. And then we have what we call 2 Corinthians. And you can see, and we've looked at it, that in, in our study of this letter, that there has been some reconciliation. And we see how it works. But he's going to conclude the letter now. Okay? And you have to understand this. This church heard him. Okay, he had made a surprise visit and false teachers had stood up in the congregation and accused him. And the church did not defend him. All right. So there was a a pain, a heartache that is there. But the Apostle Paul understood it. He understood that even though the true believers had begun to come back around to him, he understood that the false were still there. That's why he tells them, you know what, I'm going to come back a third time. All right? Because I got to deal with these people. And if you look at it, the tone of the conclusion of this letter starts changing. All right? He's more, uh, to use today's vernacular, more in your face. But remember, he started over in chapter 10 and he explained what spiritual warfare is. Okay, it is it is truth versus a lie. It is lofty things and speculations 
that are raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. That's what spiritual warfare is. That's what was happening in Corinth. And the church was being fragmented. Remember, remember when we were studying 1 Corinthians? I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. That doesn't sound like a unified church to me. What do you think? And yet, that's how they slide that in. Because then it becomes, uh, Spiros Zodiati calls it a personality cult. I look around the churches today, and that's what's going on. I'm of such and such. I'm of such and such. I'm of such and such. And then, of course, the spiritual giant will stand up, put his hand on his chest and say, I am of Christ. Why? Let me boast of my humility. All right? That's what happens. And it's, now listen, nobody gets up in the morning and say, today I shall be deceived. Okay? Deception comes in very subtly. Okay? And the problem with deception, the greatest single problem with deception is the hearer. All right? I shared with you a couple of weeks ago three things that you fight against. Or at least I hope you fight against. I guess I should say it that way. One, the world. Our society. Everything that is around you is hostile to believers. Okay? Please understand that. I don't care how much they tell you, I want to help you. Okay? And I'll show you why that's a lie. Right? But the world is hostile to believers. Always has been. They hated him first. Remember that. If you think that you can make them like you and you'll like your Jesus, then ask yourself a simple question. Why did they carry him out of here on a cross? They're not going to like you. They don't want to like you. And know what? They want to carry you out on a cross too. Second, this wonderful earthen vessel, our flesh. Have you ever watched people, believers? Okay, because I know we all know what lost people do. How easily they are swayed by their flesh. And it's just a little bit. It's, you know, it won't be bad to have that. It, no, that won't be that bad. But this is kind of important to me. And, and God wants to give me the desires of my heart. And your flesh just slowly creeps in. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're a train wreck off in a ditch somewhere. And you start asking yourself, how did I get over there? Why? Your flesh is a foe that you and I are not capable of defeating. If I do not have the Holy Spirit, you can't win. And even then you still struggle. I have lust of the eyes. I have lust of the flesh. I have the pride of life. And when does that stop? When I step out of this body and present with the Lord. Okay? But then, just in case you thought you might get two out of three, you have to deal with Lucifer. Okay? 
And you got to remember something about Lucifer. He knows the Bible better than you. Okay? He knows it way better than you. Why? Because he was there in the beginning. He was there before the Bible was written. So he knows what it says. Remember when he tempted the Lord, he used Scripture. And Jesus defeated him how? With Scripture. Okay? Now listen, I want you to know something about that little text that we always talk about. The only reason that's in Scripture is that God wanted you and I to know how do you fight this. Because remember, he had fasted for 40 days and went into the wilderness alone. And he told his disciples about this little incident. And he says, this is for everybody. If you're going to fight the lie, you've got to know truth. Okay? And you can't have presuppositions. What does it say? It goes back to early days. Genesis 2. Has God said? You know, because God said he helps those who help themselves, right? The great prophet Franklin. Ben, can't miss him. But see, we get into this and we're like, well, yeah, that sounds good. Well, that ain't what the Bible says. All right. So that is a picture of sanctification. I have three adversaries that I must defeat. I must defeat it with truth. I can't get my emotions in the way. All right. I can't get my wisdom in the way. What has my Lord said? Which brings me to verse 11. It will take me a while to get through verse 11. Sorry. You know why? There's four imperatives in this. Anybody know what an imperative is? That would be a command. He's not saying, you know, think about this and see what you come up with. All right. He says this. Finally, brethren... All right, I like that because finally is his farewell remarks. All right, brethren is a term of a beloved friend. He uses it in chapter 8, verse 1. He uses it in 1, verse 8 of this very letter. He calls the Corinthians. Now remember, these are the ones who broke his heart. And yet he calls them beloved friends, brethren, brethren. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, I dealt with the word in verse nine, I think it is. Yeah, verse nine. And verse nine is the noun. Okay. In verse 11 is the verb. Okay. Carizzo, carizzo. Okay. Be made complete. Kadaridzes is verse 9. That's the noun. Okay? It's an amazing word. It's a fascinating word. It is an awesome word. All right? And I want you to think about this because there are people right now in your lives. All right? That care for you tremendously. If you don't believe me, ask them. All right? And all they're trying to do is tug you just a little bit. 
Try this. Try this. And what they're trying to do is that if you add this, you will be carizo. Okay? But the verb here in verse 11, be made complete. Okay? The words that you see, be made, are the imperative. Carizo is the word complete. Okay? Now, I want you to get this. You got to get this fast. The verb has the sense, the meaning, not of adding something that is lacking. The carizos means it's all there. But the verb, and remember it's a command, it's an imperative. The verb is saying, but put the things in order. Adjust the things that are out of adjustment. Why? You are lacking nothing. And yet every one of us in this room right now have people in our lives that want to add something that will make us complete. And yet Paul says, no, you have it all. Put it in order. Put it in order. Remember what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians? You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You know what, Castle Rock Baptist Church? You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. But my question would be, is it all in order? That's the battle. We are looking at the picture of sanctification. Is it in order? Is it in order? The term is used here, that you see, is also seen in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21. Okay? James and John were carizo their nets. He was, they were mending their nets. Why? Everything is there in the net. I'm just tending it so it's adjusted to work properly. It's an interesting thought, don't you think? There are too many in the church today that believe that they need to add something. And you don't need to add nothing. But you probably do have to adjust it. You do have to adjust it. Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to mend their ways. Straighten themselves out. Restore the harmony that is among the believers. Think about that for a second. Because when you, you think about what the Apostle Paul has already dealt with, I mean, whether it's in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, then the other two letters, okay? They got a, a harmony problem. They don't look unified. I mean, when you got people saying, well, I'm of a Cephas, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, of course, I am of Christ. They got an arrogance problem. Straighten it out. Why? Paul, when I think about sanctification, 
I look at that as spiritual wholeness. Okay? I see a lot of people who are going through actions. Okay? And yet, when I think about what the actions are they're doing, they're wasting time. They're wasting time. Listen, spiritual wholeness that comes when a church is collectively and individually united. Listen, it's a complete conformity to God's word. What does it say? And if you watch Christians, you'll see them that seem out of step. Okay? In Thessalonians, it talks about it, you know, in chapter 5, at the conclusion, he just goes rapid fire with a bunch of exhortations. And one of the exhortations is, correct those who are out of step. That's the original Greek uh, translation. And what it means is, and you guys know who I'm, you know this. There are those people who says, well, we're going to go left, and they immediately go right. Okay? Or I'm going to go forward, and they immediately go backwards. Okay? You know these people. They're all over the place. They are just out of step. You know, we're going to run now. I'll catch up. Okay? And, and that's the terminology that is being used here, and it's... Conforming to what does the word of God say? Now, I want to show you another text in Ephesians, because Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, many of us know this text. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, To the building up of the body of Christ. Okay? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result. Okay, now here's the result. Hear what he just said. The unity of the faith. How does that come about? Gifted men that God has placed in the body of Christ. And what do they do? They are equipping the saints for what? Service. You know what that word is? Ministry. Ministry. If you're saved, you're in the ministry. You're already there. But you have to be able to do it with the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Who's the Son of God? Jesus. That knowledge leads to a mature man, to the measure of that statue that belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer, now hear this well, because every one of you is going to say, well, that's not me. As a result, we are no longer to be children 
tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And we all say, well, I'm not being tricked. That's the perfect trick. I haven't been tricked. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. I challenged you guys a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. How many of you are willing to take one hour a day and read your Bible? I'll ask you a question now. How many of you are doing it? Because if you're not, you're susceptible to the trickery of men. And you know what? It'll be pastors. It'll be Bible teachers. They're on the radio. They've got to be of God. Because, you know, they're all charlatans who's on television. So I just listen to the guys on the radio. Now, you guys think I'm kidding you, but I'm not. I have never in my life. I love history. I know the history of the church too well. And we are prime for our complete and utter destruction in this country. Setting ducks. We're worried about who's going to be president. Really? I put them up and I tear them down. It don't matter who's president. Well, what if they come against you? I'll give you Pastor Paul's phone number. I'll give you Pastor Phillips' phone number. I'll give you the guys in Azerbaijan's phone number. You're worried about the government? I should be worried about he who can condemn the eternal soul. Not he can take my life. See? Why? You and I have become comfortable. We have Bible teaching in our church. For what good? So you're good at Bible trivia? Some of you have been with me for a whole 21 years. How you doing? I have more questions. This is what we have to understand when I see the picture of sanctification. There's a completeness because we don't lack anything, but we need to put it in order. Ask yourself a question. What is your number one priority Every moment of your life. And I can tell you exactly which one, what it is for each and every one of you. You. That's your number one priority. Love thy neighbor as thyself. What does that mean? Is your neighbor hungry? Does your neighbor need a coat? What if your neighbor needs a car? Our number one priority in the United States today as believers is what? Me. I'm it. It is me. I'm my number one priority. But I'll be spiritual because it's Sunday and I'll say, Jesus. Ephesians says that the leaders of the church have been given a task. To equip the saints for the work of service, of the building up of the body, Christ. The unity of faith, the knowledge of God, the Son of God. To mature them so that they are the fullness of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says 
that we were saved to be conformed into the image of Christ. As a church leader, it is my responsibility to pour in you the word. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ, whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's the responsibility of church leadership. Your responsibility is to put that in order. Adjust it to its priority. Think about it. You have a hectic day. Who gets cheated? You or Christ? And then you wonder why you have a hectic day. That's why uh, people make fun of me because I, I don't plan a lot of things. I don't try to plan anything because what I realize is that every time I make a plan, God chuckles. He says, well, it's him again. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, so I've taken on the Old Testament prophet mentality. Here I am, send me. But if I can petition, I wouldn't mind teaching Russian in Barbados. Okay, I'm trying to figure out, is that a desire of my heart or is God saying you're an idiot? Don't answer that. <laughs> okay. But do you see what I'm trying to get at, people? There is a completeness, and we're not lacking any parts. But we need to adjust the parts. Again, back to our text in 2 Corinthians. Be made complete. Uh, that's a, the New American Standard translation. You kind of see that in the King James too. But it's literally, it's, understand that it's an imperative form and it is a command. So what he's commanding is that, Carizzo, you need to take these that you have and adjust it so it's organized, that it is useful. Okay? Here's one of the things that, that I see it, that is killing the church. In the United States, specifically. I've seen it. It killed the church in Europe. It killed the church in England. We were warned, actually, by a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a doctor, but he was a cardiologist, was his, what his doctor was. We were warned in 1968 that this thing's coming. And it killed the church in Europe. Okay, and and people, people don't understand, where was John Calvin? Where was Martin Luther? Those guys are not shabby amateurs. But the church in Europe is dead. They are empty buildings. I look at Robert Murray McShane, John Knox, Charles Spurgeon, out of one little island. And yet, I know people who pastor there now, and the only people who are coming to salvation are generational. 
And they all have one thing in common, and it's the same thing that's in common in the United States today. There's a lack of integrity in Christendom. That's what this is. Take what you have, its completeness, and show the integrity of true saving faith. There's no integrity. Well, they look just like the world on Monday. I remember years ago, before Christ, I was, a, I call it an entrepreneur. And I hung out with this guy who was a business partner of mine. We did some awful things together. I'll just leave it at that. But I've never seen anything like it. Every Sunday, this guy would get up, and I was with him on Saturday night. He'd get up, and he'd go tell the priest he was sorry. And then I would probably wake up after he got done, and then we'd go eat lunch, and we're off and running again. And I said, Dave, the only difference between you and me You get up on Sunday. That's going on in the church right now. I remember when I first got saved, after I got baptized, I was attending a church up in Parker, and there was a business guy that I had some dealings with in construction, and he was as big a crook as anybody else. And what I mean by that, uh, we had things called change orders. And each change order costs you a little more because, quote, unquote, changing it. And I I kept thinking, dude, you're as crooked as anybody else with this. And it just didn't make sense to me. And he was in leadership of the church. Why? There's a lack of integrity. That completeness is all out of adjustment. Is all out of adjustment. Listen, the pursuit of this is not optional. That's why it's imperative. That's why everything in that verse right there is imperative. There's four of them. As believers grow in grace, we must constantly reevaluate our priorities. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. We need to get our behavior in line with the scriptures and be restored to spiritual wholeness. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe you're spiritually whole this day? Because I've got news for you. If you're saved, you're not lacking anything. If you don't have spiritual holiness or wholeness, guess what? You are not going to be used. And you know what? It becomes evident to the body and to the unbelievers. I find it fascinating that they'll say, well, Terry's our minister. No, you're the ministers. I try to set a path that you guys follow. And you know what? I have people who are out of line. I go forward, they go backwards. I go left, they go right. The proverbial herding cats. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with the Corinthians here. And I keep thinking about this Corinthian church and what God had done in the midst of a society that you and I cannot imagine. Okay, to Corinthianize was to be promiscuous. 
Guess where it started? Okay, so it was an awful place. And God says, here, look, a church. But they had jettisoned their integrity. When you can have somebody in your church who is sleeping with his father's wife and boast of the grace of Christ to do it, that's pretty sick. And yet the Corinthians were doing it. When you could have the Lord's table and the people who were wealthy would come in and get hammered before anybody else would show up because they had to work all day. Really? But don't worry, man, because I'm of Apollos. Do not think you can't fall to this. Listen. If you have theological errors, you need them to be corrected. Okay? Every single one of us needs our biblical knowledge to be increased. And you know what else? Your sin needs to be dealt with. I'll deal with mine. I know everybody wants to help me out with mine. But I suggest that you deal with your own. If you have violated relationships, you need to restore them. You need to go ask for forgiveness. If you have laziness, if you have indifference, if you have apathy, All of that needs to be turned into energetic devotion of service to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Paul's first inspired letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he said this. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be made, huh, carizo, in the same mind and the same judgment. Be complete in the same mind and the same judgment. It's a church that the Apostle Paul adored. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. As we, night and day, keep praying most earnestly, that we may see your face. Why? And may complete what is lacking in your faith. You know what that means? Let me adjust your theology. Listen, all of that is a byproduct of spiritual integrity. It is a natural byproduct. It is, it is a natural outflowing of the church. The church used to be a place of honor. Now you just look up and it's a place of scandal. And how did that happen? Well, simple. There was laziness. There was apathy. 
There was no doctrinal correction. Because you know, everybody knows that doctrine divides. And yet the Apostle Paul says, I want to come to you and help you finish what's lacking in your faith. What is your faith based on? Doctrine. Let me give you doctrine so your faith is solid. Why? So you are one mind. This isn't Terry's church. This is Jesus Christ's church. All I do is say, this is what it says. Listen, and if you don't like it, take it up with the author. I didn't write it. Why would we worry about this? I remember a guy one time told me, he says, well, if it's supposed to get worse at the, before the second coming, wouldn't, shouldn't we pr- be praying to vote for the worst candidate? And I was like, dude, <laughs> even if you think that, don't tell nobody. Okay, I know it's a secret ballot, but Jesus Christ knows who you're voting for. All right, but it's listen, my brothers and sisters, like I said, I look at history when I when I think about it. We call it the Macedonian call. Remember when the Apostle Paul was in Antioch, Syria? He wanted to take the, the gospel to China. Holy Spirit said no. Well, what about? up toward the northeast, toward the Caucasus Mountains. Holy Spirit said no. Well, do you want me to go back to my native Israel? Holy Spirit said no. Where did he send him? Macedonia. Now, what does that mean? It's the upper part of the Greek peninsula. All right? It's the reason you and I got saved. All right. That's where we came from. I don't care whether you're German. I don't care if you're Polish, you're Swedish, Sweden. I don't care what you are. If he hadn't gone to Macedonia, you don't get it. You're being evangelized right now by a billion Chinese. That's the reason you got saved. And yet the path of the gospel that went through Europe over to the English Isles and then into the United States is, if you follow it backwards, it's all dying. And you know why? Lack of doctrinal discernment, laziness, apathy, and the lack of integrity. Paul is telling the Corinthians who truly needed to get things in order. Repent of their sin. And if you repent of your sin and sound doctrine, guess what? You will reject the false teachers. If you reject the false teachers, then they would return back to the Apostle Paul. They would know that he's a genuine apostle and he was submitted to the truth of God, which he had preached faithfully day and night from house to house. Paul says, I want to come back and help you align. I want each of you to be in line with God's truth. Why? Because that is the completeness that he is talking about. The parts are all there. But you and I, 
as the Corinthians need to reevaluate what is our priorities. Paul gives four exhortations here. Rejoice, be conformed, be like-minded, live in peace. Guess what? All four imperative verbs. You want to be utilized? You want to see people come to salvation? Guess what? You have a responsibility. That is the completeness. The parts are there, brothers and sisters. The parts are there. But you and I have to evaluate it so we can adjust it. The writer of Hebrews said, run the race that is before you. All right. I'm in it. Okay. Oh, really? How much of this world has you entangled? We've got the Summer Olympics coming, I think. <laughs> I guess they're giving away tickets now. But anyway, if you go look at the running games, the events, they don't, they're not out there running around in a robe. Okay? And yet the picture that the writer of Hebrews gives is, why in the world would you want to get into a foot race wearing a robe? And you know what? How many in the body of Christ right now are running in a robe? They're entangled with the things of the world. No, it's not that important stuff. No, yeah, it is. Because see, the world doesn't come against you. I told you that the world hates you. They don't come against you and say, hey, I need you to carry this burden because it'll slow you down. No, they come and say, this here? will make you complete. People laugh at me. I have an ink pen that I write with, write my notes down with, that my grandfather gave my grandmother for her 16th birthday. Okay? You still dip it in a well and all the rest of it. But you know what's really cool about it? The battery never runs down. And I can look at the inkwell and say, oh, I should get some more. And people look at me and say, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Really? I'm not entangled with the latest program to download on my whatever. They say, well, you know, you can get the Bible on your phone. Will it talk to me? Well, I think they've got one like that. I don't want it. Why? My battery will run down. And I'd hate to get to a good part and the battery die. All right? We get things that... It Listen, I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to close with this. The computer age was supposed to make our lives more efficient. Did it work? I don't see anything efficient about it. Now, it does test my sanctification at times. But other than that, I don't see anything. All right? But there's a lot of people. Well, yeah, but you've got a, a fine. I'm not it. If I can use my grandma's pen and be efficient 
I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. People come and look at me and they're like, you're using an inkwell? Uh-huh. Why? Because pencil leads run out. Okay? I want you to understand there are things that we will entangle ourselves with that don't seem like an entanglement at the moment. But all of a sudden down the road a little ways, you realize that it has now become your master. Please be careful. We have everything we need. But we have four exhortations that are imperative. That are non-negotiable. And don't look at me and say, well, what if I'm doing two out of four? Or maybe three out of four. No, don't work. Why? Because we're looking at our own personal integrity. Our integrity that the world will or will not see. Okay? We'll pick these up next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Uh, Thank you for your spirit. Father, thank you for your precious bride, your church. I pray for Castle Rock Baptist. Lord, I pray we will get adjusted, that we will become the light on the hill, that, Father, we will be able to reach to the lost, and they will see the truth of the living God in each of our lives. Father, there's a lot going on in a very little fellowship. I lift her to you, my King. I bend my knee that I may present her a chaste virgin, washing her with the word to present her holy and pure unto her Savior. Thank you, Father. Thank you for helping us. Father, thank you for your faithfulness when we are faithless. Father, may we grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And no matter what trial or tribulation we suffer, let us stand in the arms of our Savior and Lord, our Redeemer. Thank you, my King. In Christ's name. Amen.